Before we kick in, let me just say a really, really big thank you to you all for your support, your prayers uh, for Becky and for us as a family at this time. Um, just so that you know, we really do feel it. We feel that sense of being carried, um, and uh, it, it, it's very special to us. It's special to be part of a body of people who, you know, it's not, we're not just a club, are we? We're not just a kind of social unit, social organization. We're part of God's church. We're part of the kingdom of God. And we feel it when we support one another, when we look after one another. Um, a lot of it's practical. Um, people have been sort of showing up with meals and things, which is lovely. Thank you very much. Um, but for your prayers, we really are grateful. Uh, Becky would love to be here, um, but um, she's feeling quite weak um, as a result of the, the treatment that she's been through. So she needs to just pace herself. Um, but she just sends her love to everybody and her thanks. Um, so, as Sally said to us earlier, we're picking up where we left off with our series going through the early chapters of the book of Acts. Thanks, Liz. Um, we had a two-week break. Easter Sunday was great, wasn't it? Um, wasn't just the, the baptisms were, were great. John got us all on fire talking about Jesus awaking in the tomb and saying, is that the best you got, death? Is that it? Fine, I'm out of here, which was wonderful. And then last week, um, Jill, I thought Jill was magnificent last week. I, we weren't here, but I've listened to it. And if you haven't heard Jill's talk from last week about how God builds us into, she used the illustration of a wall and the different types of stones that, uh, that are, are built together into a dry stone wall to create a structure that it's pretty solid and pretty useful. There's different sorts of rolls of different stones at different levels and shapes and so on. Um, and she described that very well. And of course, it's biblical. Um, Peter, in his letter, talks about God building us as living stones into his temple. So, but after that, we're going to come back to the book of Acts. And we're going to look at chapter 8, the first 25 verses this morning. It'll come on the screen in a minute. And we're following the dramatic and disturbing events of the martyrdom of Stephen, which Diraj, um, I thought Diraj, again, did a great job. Well done, Diraj, um, in uh, unpacking that for us the other week and, and drawing out some, some lessons for us. I said to him afterwards, I said, considering that was your first, uh, first preach, that was a pretty rough passage to be given, but I thought he did a great job with it. So, Stephen has been martyred. The young, um, the young man called Saul, who hated the church, hated Christians, was there as the official witness. And we pick up that story at the start of chapter 8. So Saul approved of their killing him. That's Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. 
Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had been practicing sorcery in the city and amazed all of the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was somebody great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, we just pray. Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture together, Lord, we ask for your insights to come, Lord, not just to our minds, but to our hearts. Lord, we ask that we will be changed by your word this morning. Lord, we don't just want to sit here, have our ears tickled, spend a bit of time going away saying, oh, that was a nice meeting. Lord, we want to be changed on the inside. Lord, may today for us be part of our growth in you as we become more and more like you, further and further into your will for our lives, further and further into your purposes for this church and for Darlington in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. So, we've come to a significant event. And I wonder if you can guess why this chapter is significant in the overall trajectory of what is happening within the book of Acts. I wonder if you've spotted something. It's a significant event because this is the first time the gospel has been preached outside of 
Jerusalem and its surrounding areas. And if you remember back to the very beginning of the book of Acts, in chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus had told them to go there. You need to take the gospel to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That was the commission that they were given. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And that little formula governs the, the layout, the trajectory of the events that are in the book of Acts. But up until this point, they'd just more or less been based around Jerusalem. And I noticed that it was the tragic and disturbing events of the stoning of Stephen that actually caused them to take that next step. You know, sometimes God will use circumstances or even trigger things to happen that cause change. Now, we need to be careful to recognize that God himself never initiates anything bad, anything evil. He certainly didn't initiate the stoning of Stephen. But he will use bad events to further his plans. And basically, wonderfully, God will transform the bad things that happen into opportunities for grace. Because our God is amazing like that. Even when things go wrong, God can switch things around by his sovereign power because he is governing over all things to fulfill his purposes. And that's amazing. That's what we find in today's story. But why is Samaria significant? Funnily enough, that's what any Jew would have asked. Why Samaria? Because as you may know from other parts of the Bible, from the, the Gospels, um, there was a real tension between Jews and the people of Samaria, the Samaritans. In fact, in one of the stories of Jesus, uh, where Jesus is talking to a woman um, in Samaria, it tells us, as it says on the screen there, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. It's a famous example of tension between two neighboring geographies, neighboring peoples. And I just, there's a little map up there that will give you some idea of where Samaria is with regard to Jerusalem in the south of the land of Israel and Galilee in the north, which of course we know all about from Jesus's, Jesus's hometown is in Galilee, the disciples from Galilee. So you've got a kind of north bit, you've got a south bit, and then wedged in between, you've got Samaria. As is often the case, there's a real bit of history behind this tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. We know all about history causing tensions, don't we, between neighboring peoples. We can think of plenty of examples from, you know, just, just our own time. Um, I wonder how many footballers here, football fans here support Newcastle. Anybody got a show of hands? Anybody follow Newcastle United? Maybe not. Okay. Anybody follow Sunderland? Eddie, Eddie at the back there. Chris Reeves would have his hand up if he was here. But it, there's a famous rivalry, isn't there, between the Newcastle supporters and the Sunderland supporters. And in fact, between the ge ge geographies. 
you know, the Geordies in that, that kind of shipbuilding area along the Tyne, and then the, uh, the Mackhams over near Sunderland. And it's a famous rivalry. But I wonder if you knew, I didn't know this until recently, the part of the root of that rivalry is, goes right back to the English Civil War. Does everybody know that? Yeah, interesting, isn't it? That apparently, you'll remember the English Civil War, there were two armies, there were the Cavaliers, the Roundheads. One group supported the king, the other group supported the parliamentarians. And a part of the, uh, part of the Civil War, there was a group from one army that were barracked in Newcastle, and there was a group from a different army that were barracked in Sunderland. And that was the start of tension between two geographic areas. Now, if you said to people today, why, you know, if you said to somebody in Newcastle, why don't you like Sunderland? Well, because they're Sunderland. They don't know there's a long history behind it. Sometimes, of course, the, the history and the tension, I mean, it's just rivalry, really, Newcastle-Sunderland, isn't it? I think it is. But think about another geographic conflict that we're all very, very familiar with over in Ireland between the north and the south. That, again, has a huge historical root back in, you know, it's partly, it's complex. It's a Northern Ireland thing, isn't it? Partly religious, partly historic, partly economic, partly political. Um, and the tension between the Jews and the Samaritans also goes back deep into Israel's history. Because some 700 years before Jesus, the northern kingdom, what was the northern kingdom at that stage, was the first of the Jewish kingdoms to be taken into exile. They were captured, overrun by the Assyrian people. And later on, of course, Jerusalem was captured by the Babylonians. And there was a, another exile up to Babylon. But what happened within the, uh, the, the Assyrian um, capture of the northern kingdom, they didn't deport everybody. They sent their own people into the area of Samaria. And what it resulted in was a lot of integration between Assyrian culture and Jewish culture. And the ethnic purity of the Jews that lived in that area was compromised. They would intermarry, a mixed race arose. And this is the origin of the New Testament Samaritans. Now I'll give you that background just to, just to show you that there would be, there's a lot of similarities. Jesus would, would go into Samaria, as he did with the, with, the, with the woman at the well, and was quite happy relating to them, talking to them, conversing, preaching, reaching out in love and in grace, as he did to the woman. And of course, Jesus, when he told some of his stories, uh, well, one of his stories, he used a Samaritan as the hero of the story. And you can probably understand from what I've said that in Jerusalem, that would have raised a few eyebrows. We don't like those people. Why are you making one of those people a hero of the story? But you see, what it tells us is this. Even though to the, the Jews, Samaritans were, they're them, they're not us. And Samaria would be a no-go area, except you would need to go through it to go between the north Galilee and the south in Jerusalem. 
but there would be a lot of hostility and a lot of suspicion and a lot of prejudice. But that wasn't Jesus' heart. That wasn't Jesus' heart. He was very happy to go through Samaria. He was very happy to sit and graciously interact with with the lady at the well. And he was very happy to say to his disciples, you go to Jerusalem, you go to Judea, we're fine at that point, you go to Samaria. And I wonder if at that point they thought, hmm, really? I, I have a theory, this is not in the text of the Bible, but I have a theory that if Jesus hadn't said that, I mean, he could have said, go to Jerusalem, go to Judea, go to Egypt, go to Turkey, go to wherever. But he chose Samaria because that was the one area they might have missed out. Might have skipped it. And I think there's a challenge to us as we think about mission. And as you know, we're increasingly thinking about mission at the moment. Do we have any no-go areas? The gospel has no place for prejudice, no place for favorites. The offer of Christ needs to be extended to all nations, to all people groups. And you know what? They found when they were scattered and went to Samaria, the blessing of God followed them, as we see in the story. So, we have Philip preaching the gospel in Samaria, and the results are remarkable, aren't they? Just, you know, we've read it, um, the signs and wonders that they had uh, that they experienced in Jerusalem, when the Holy Spirit had come upon them, the signs followed them to Samaria. Good news. God really must be blessing this place. And as a result uh, of that, the um, large numbers of people said, okay, we'll listen to you. And having listened, they heard Philip talking about Jesus as Messiah. Right, we need to, we need to accept this. And it says in the text that we've just read, they accepted the word of God. And then we got this character, Simon. <laughs> what a character, eh? I think it's... Um, the people obviously looked up to him or, or, or rated him. And it's very obvious from the text. He obviously rated himself. Can you pick that up? He said, I'm the great one of God. And they said, yes, you're the great one of God. Do you notice how the, the text says that once Philip had started to do his stuff, Simon followed him round. And once Peter arrived, Peter and John from Jerusalem, Simon got in with them as well. You can just you get a little glimpse, don't you, of the kind of character that he was. He wanted to be somebody. He wanted to be powerful. But he'd taken a massively wrong turning in order to get to the influence that he had. The text tells us that he was dabbling in sorcery in order to achieve the fame and the popularity that had come his way. Simon, it's not going to do you any good. It really isn't. What he was about to discover through the ministry of Philip and through the visit of Peter and John and through the coming of the Holy Spirit to that area was that he'd backed the wrong horse, that he'd taken the wrong turning, that he'd 
dabbled in something that shouldn't be dabbled in. And he discovered there was a power greater than his own and a power greater than the one that he was using. It says he was astonished. It's good to know, isn't it, that when the gospel spreads, people recognize the real thing. It's good to know that when the gospel spreads, people recognize the real thing. One of the things I felt to do this morning was to encourage you, encourage us, not to forget what it is that we have received as individuals and as a people. God's grace is on my life. I don't deserve it, but God's grace is on my life. God's grace is on your life. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. You've been set free. You've been blessed. God's power has been at work in your life, hasn't it? Absolutely, and mine too. Not all my prayers are answered yet, but some of them have been. And I've been blessed. I've been so blessed. More than I deserve, more than I can tell. I hope you haven't forgotten that. Because when we go from here into the world, when we interact with neighbors, with friends, with family, we carry that blessing with us. I think we forget sometimes. But you know what? I think people spot it. I think when it's the real deal, people notice. And although sometimes you can encounter Christianity as a a kind of nominal thing, maybe you've heard that phrase, sometimes there are nominal Christians who just go through the motions, maybe have a little bit of belief and a little bit of practice, but haven't really encountered Jesus. Uh, And and sometimes you, you find that. When you come across Christians who have encountered Jesus and carry his presence with them and have the experience of the Holy Spirit, people notice, it, it, just in little ways. I had a little example of, of this recently. We, um, as, as many of you know, we, uh, we are in the process of moving house at the moment. Um, and um, we got quite well with our neighbors, so we've chatted to them about what we're doing. Um, we chatted to one of our neighbors, and, and she said, oh, I don't want you to move. I said, well, that's very kind of you. you know. And she was joking. She said, look, when, just tell us when you've got people coming around to view the house, and we'll open all our windows, and we'll blare loud music out, and we'll throw rubbish in the garden, and uh, you know, we'll stand outside our house with a, a ciggy hanging out in the mouth, and um, we'll, we'll try and put them off. And of course, it was just banter, but, you know. but, but it was nice, nice to know that they would miss us if we moved. But do you know what? When um, we also chatted to them when Becky's cancer returned and started talking about the treatment and so on, and uh, this neighbor said to us, you'll still move, won't you? Um, because we're moving to be near family and grand- grandchildren and so on. And she said this. She said, if you find a church where you're moving to, like the church you're part of, You'll be fine. This is somebody, she doesn't come here. She doesn't, she probably doesn't know many of you. But she knows what the church is like. And I was just so blessed by that comment. Um, And just a reminder, people do see. People do see. Now, we have to tell them, we have to explain. 
We have to say, this is the reason why. But people do see the difference. Let's not be shy about it, guys. Let's not be those people that Jesus talked about who light a lamp and then cover it up. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God. The glory goes to him. So the challenge to us is this. What is the real deal? How do people know that faith is genuine? I mean, I think we've got some, we've got, we've got some examples already in this passage, haven't we, from Acts chapter 8. The fruits and the gifts. The Holy Spirit is at work among us. He is. We need to be encouraged by it, and we need to pray for more of it. In that context, at that time, there were particular signs and wonders that the Holy Spirit brought about through Philip. Yeah? Healings, freedom from evil spirits, and so on and so forth. We get some of that, don't we? I'd like to see more. So would you. But we do get some of that. But we also have the fruit of the Spirit growing in our lives, don't we? Should do, if we let him. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, self-control, those things will grow in our lives if we let God have his, his way with us. So that's one way people will know our faith is genuine. Another way is, and I've already mentioned it, haven't I? Love. And Jesus himself said, that by this will all men know if you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. And when we've got neighbors like, like ours saying, your church looks after you, we've noticed. It's a great witness. And here's, here's another, I think, sign that faith is genuine. Of all people, brothers and sisters, we should be best equipped from anybody to cope with suffering in life. We should be best equipped. Life has its ups and downs. And we know that we are not yet in the season that is coming when Jesus will return and a kingdom will be inaugurated that will be so, so different from this one. Devil, the death will be defeated, and there will be a kingdom that we will live in where God is totally in charge and everything is good. We are not there yet, are we? No, we're not. And we live in a real world with real problems as well as real joys. And I firmly believe that as people see how we go through the difficulties of life, it's a big witness to them. It really is. So, when you're just chatting to people, can I urge you to do things? Firstly, don't cover up the difficulties of life in your life. But secondly, don't, don't communicate them in such a way as to say, oh, well, this is overwhelming me. Because it's not. I'm going through some really tough stuff, but I know God is with me. And you know, sometimes we say both of those bits to Christians, but we only say the first bit when we're talking to others. Why? I should be able to say to my neighbors, to my friends, um, 
I should love to say it to atheists. Yeah? Actually, I'm going through some really tough stuff, but you know what? God's with me. You can't say that. You don't believe. Maybe that's me being a bit, a bit cheeky, a bit naughty. But I, I do. I think, it's a, I think it's a valid thing to say. My witness is that when I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, God was with me as he had promised to be. He promised, I experienced, he was faithful. Whoa, that's my testimony. That's the gospel. And that's the thing that will just so speak powerfully. My prayer for us is that we increasingly look like the church that God meant us to be. And that we are the showcase to the world outside of what a difference it makes to follow Jesus. So Simon, just continuing our story, Simon's encountered the Holy Spirit and he repents of his sorcery. But he's still got some lessons to learn. Because when Peter comes along, Peter and John, and start baptizing people in the Holy Spirit, he offers them money. Um, and, and, you know, change can take a while in this concept. On the one hand, he's been really impressed by the gospel. He started to follow Jesus. But he ain't yet really matured in terms of what that means for him. Because although he's just started to follow Jesus, he's also started to follow Philip, and he started to follow Peter and John, and he started to make himself something in this new setup in the same way as he made himself something in the old regime. He's kind of got used to being the great power of God. He doesn't very easily relinquish that uh, to, um, to just make himself normal, just make himself one of the crowd. Come on, Simon, you're nobody special. And he's got to learn that lesson. And, of course, he learns it in a very public way. Um, bless him, he's, he's in Scripture. For every generation, people will read Simon's story. Um, and um, realize that he had to go through this painful experience. Impulsively, he goes up to Peter and says, give me, give me the power to uh, baptize in the Spirit. I'll pay you. I'll, I'll give you a good deal. And Peter has to say to him, no, no, you won't. No, in fact, you're still full of bitterness and sin. Peter doesn't mince his words, does he? Peter says it as it is. But thankfully, Simon, rather than just going in a huff, does say, oh, okay, just pray, please. Do pray to the Lord that nothing of you said would happen to me. So you kind of get the feeling that Simon's on a journey and he's going to get there in the end. But he's had a power encounter with God to help him get there. Doesn't that sound good? I wonder if you're thinking at the moment as, we, as we're, we're just sharing this together, I wonder if you're thinking about any of the people that you know. Do you know any Simons in your workplace or in your 
um, range of uh, acquaintances, friends, people who think they're something. I wonder how God could get through to them. You keep praying for your friends who are like that because God loves them and God wants to speak to them. And God does want to bring a reality into their life that actually there's only one Messiah, there's only one God. And we are just his servants. Let's just go back to Philip for a moment. So, as I already said, Philip deserves a lot of credit for, as a Jew, going to Samaria and talking to the Samaritans. But let's remember what he's just come from. Because I find this very, very moving. You may remember that a few chapters beforehand, a group of people from amongst the, um, amongst the believers in Jerusalem had been set aside as a team of deacons to administer food and so on. And one of those was Philip. Another one of those was Stephen, the man who had just been stoned to death. And Paul talked to us about that a few weeks back. And as it says in the text we've just read, when Stephen died, they mourned deeply for him. They would, wouldn't they? It would be a shock. It would be a traumatic thing for them. So what's Philip's response? To go and find a cave somewhere to lick his wounds? No. He's off to Samaria. What does he do there? Shares about Jesus. Starts sharing the gospel. And do you know what? He wasn't one of the apostles. He didn't have to do it because he had a job, a role. He did it because he loved Jesus and because he knew Jesus had said, listen, all of you, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take the good news to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and on to the ends of the earth. So I felt God saying to me as I was preparing for this and for, to say to us, are you up for the mission? Are you up for the mission this morning? You know, we use the word mission in lots of different ways, don't we? Sometimes mission, just, just in English usage, means overseas. It means what Mike and uh, Graham are doing at the moment, going to Romania. But in God's eyes, mission is much more than that. Mission could be to the person next door, or it could be anywhere. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. They weren't scattered. There was still work to do in Jerusalem. But by God's plan and God's grace, the ripples were extending outwards and would continue to extend. And we'll see later in the book of Acts that more geographies are added as the gospel goes out, which was Jesus' plan all along. But are we up for it? Are we up for being part of that mission? 
it's important for us to know that the mission of God to redeem the human race is really the backdrop to the church. We sometimes can get into a mentality of thinking that, okay, now we've got a church, now we've gathered a group of people, what are we going to do? As if God's scratching his head and saying, what can I give these people to do to pass the time now that, now that I've got them together? Now that I've called them out from that evil world out there, how am I going to occupy them? And that's just, that's just so the opposite of how it is. Because it's not that God has got a mission for the church. It's that God has got a church for his mission. His mission, having sent Jesus to redeem, having sent the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, is now for that message to go out into the world, to touch the people that it needs to touch, to touch the hurting, to touch those that need forgiveness, to touch those that need release. And that happens through us, doesn't it? So I hope you're excited about that this morning. And whatever your part is, I hope you know to play that part. Again, Jill said it last week, different types of stones in the world. You know, you've got your big stones, you've got your small stones, you've got your foundational stones, you've got your funny shaped stones. That's what she said, didn't she? She said, there's some odd, odd shaped stones here. It's very brave of her to say that. But I hope you recognize that one of the things that this new season that God is bringing us into, God is speaking to us increasingly about mission, about getting out there. And for some of us, it may mean going overseas. For other of us, it may mean, well, what's, what's your version of Samaria? Because Samaria was only next door, you know. It might be easier to be called to Uganda than to be called to, I almost don't mention anywhere. You know, but you think about some of the surrounding areas around Darlington. Would you go? to Bali? Would you go to Middlesbrough? Would you go to Hartlepool? Would you go to North Allerton? All lovely places. But you might think, oh, that's the last place I'd go. But we don't want any Samarias. We want to hear where God wants us to go. And we want to respond. We want to obey. We don't have all the plans yet, by the way. Um, one of the things we've talked about in the eldership team is we feel God stirring us in this. But the detail is not all there yet. And God will unfold his plans step by step, piece by piece. But there's a change, there's a sea change in our culture as we look outwards and say, we want to take the gospel to the world. Don't we? So as we pray, um, I think I'd just like to encourage you to be open to whatever God's going to say to you, whatever God's going to put on your heart. I'd, I'd like us actually to spend a few minutes as we, as we finish and perhaps ask the band to come back. Um, let's pray for God's mission to the world and our part in it. Can we do that?
Does that, um, does that excite anybody? Does that stir anybody? Can we, can we pray for that together? There may be other things we need to do in response. Um, and uh, John, I don't know whether you've got any, anything else, maybe, as, as part of the response. But let's, to begin with, just pray for God's mission to the world and our part in it. And let's pray together for whatever, because this weekend, for Mike and for Graham, may be a part of what God's saying to us. We need to know. We need to be clear. So can we do that together? Are you, you up for that? Yeah, yeah, a few nods, that's great. If you can, let's stand together and pray. And um, I'll pray, but I don't, it doesn't just have to be me. If you want to pray into this, there's a mic at the front. Sally's got a mic. Let's just spend a few minutes. Father, we just want to come before you Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for scripture, which so magnificently informs us and feeds us. And Lord, we thank you for the witness of the early disciples who were not afraid to go. Or for some of them, they weren't afraid to stay. But Lord, together, collectively, they began to fulfill your commission to them to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And Lord, as we at King's Church start to feel a stirring that there's more of this that you want us to do, there's a path and a plan for us. Lord, we ask you to stir our hearts. We ask you to instruct our minds. Lord, we ask you to make clear the next steps. Lord, we call on you to give us big hearts and ready feet that we may take the gospel wherever he wants to take it to.